Dr. Murray Cohn, an infectious disease specialist, was with the CDC over 20 years, and he's been our guy to talk coronavirus. He's our man. Yeah, been. No agenda with us and Dr. Murray Cohn. What's up, Dr. Cohn? Good morning. Well, good morning. Did you? Well, did you see whatever you want to talk about? Good. All right, let's start with the. All right, e- let's talk about last night's football game. <laughs> <laughs> so. you got me there. Yeah, you got me there. Uh, well, let's talk with this pause uh, that Eli Lilly took over the vaccine. Is that normal in drug trials that they get X amount of weeks in or months in, and then boom, they, there's a big stoppage like this, and then they pick it back up? Is that normal? not normal but it's also not unusual right now it's because uh everything's being rushed you know there's this fast track uh, yeah and so things that usually take a lot more time so you can detect those sort of problems before they actually turn up as a as a serious side effect in a subject um you know you, you catch it early but it's not at all unusual and it only we takes talk, we, we, we talked before about Back in 1975 and 76, the original swine flu vaccine and how that one came out very quickly. And we had uh, a couple of hundred people that got Guillain-Barre. Yep. Uh, and after that, it totally changed the whole way we do vaccinology here. No, no companies would make vaccines anymore without government indemnity. If, if I get a regular f- uh, flu shot, I've noticed a lot of the grocery stores and high schools, everyone's offering the free flu shot. If I go ahead and get that... And then in six weeks from now, I'm showing symptoms. Is it safe, fair to oh, assume yeah. that that's the COVID then? Because I already have the regular flu shot, so it can't be regular flu, right? Well, more than likely, that's correct. Okay. Um, but it's not impossible. We know that um, you know when you get a flu shot, some people will still get the flu, but we also know that it's just about always uh, a much attenuated, a much less serious flu. So the only way you would know that it's COVID is you'd, you'd go get what's called a stat test, you know, immediate test to, yeah. for flu and see if you got flu. And if you got the symptoms and you don't have flu, you got COVID. It's okay. a lot faster than a COVID test. Hey, well, now, if this, you know, let's say you can't either, you don't want to take the flu test or you can't take the flu test, the, 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 the vaccine, the vaccine. If you get sick, should you get tested? Because it almost seems like anymore is if you got the sniffles or you got a headache or you get, you know, it's di- like no, any, no other anything. You sickness can't be happens sick. anymore. You have to, you know, you, you, it's automatic. I got to get a coronavirus test. Is that where we're at? I don't think so. Certainly not this time of year. It's more likely that you'll um, immediately get a flu test. We've done that for a long time. They're cheap. They're fast. Um, they're easy to do. They exist everywhere. So more than likely, they're going to, you know, test for flu first. As I said, to some extent, there's a presumptive diagnosis of of COVID if your flu test is negative and you've got the symptoms. But even that's faster than getting a, uh, a COVID test. The whole thing with COVID testing is just it's just bizarre, absolutely bizarre. I mean, there's yeah. we talked about this a little bit, but um, you know, testing should have been low hanging fruit, and instead, you know, nine months into the pandemic. We're still trying to figure it out. Um, it's it's actually kind of insane. The only, the only way we're going to know exactly what happened is, you know, there'll be a time, maybe in a year, I don't know, where we have a 9-11 commission, you know, kind of a, uh, an investigation and find out exactly what went wrong where. 
And then we'll have a much better idea of the things that should have been done and who should have done them. Hey, Dr. Cohen, as we're heading into the winter months and even our own governor has said that he expects to see spikes because all the outdoor activities were, of course, it's safer. Now we're all going to be moving indoors and with the holidays coming up and colliding with the flu season. Uh, can we could expect this to continue at least until the middle of next year? Oh, yeah, uh, we can expect this to continue pretty much forever. Um, uh, you know, the virus is smarter than if you want to know how smart this virus is. It doesn't take notes. That's how smart this virus is. <laughs> <laughs> topical, Doc. Yes. Very topical. <laughs> the, uh, the, well, you know, I, I know that you're also entertainers, and I don't want to just be the boring. Uh, <laughs> the, um, this virus is, is a part of human life pretty much forever. Uh, it's really just a matter of, you know, tamping down the overrunning of hospitals. That's the biggest problem. That and wiping out our elder generation. Uh, we will begin to get a handle on that. I don't think by next spring, as you suggested, Christy, uh, it's going to take a little longer than that, maybe another full year. But we will get a handle on that. But we're never rid of this virus. Well, maybe it's better then that we all get yeah, it. Exactly. At this point. Open everything up. And if it's inevitable, it's not going away. And we're all going to get it at some point anyways. Why are we living in fear? Go live your life. You're going to get it eventually. I'd rather get it now and be done with it. Uh, if it was just that easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the... The secret underlying, what's lying underneath the rock, you know, when you turn it over and there's creepy crawlies underneath, is the sequelae, which we don't even understand yet. You know, I've talked to you about these football players in school. Yeah. And I'm really, I'm really afraid in 25 or 30 years we're going to, you know, have an epidemic of uh, of heart attacks because they're going to have had uh, irreversible myocarditis as a result of getting infected and being quote unquote asymptomatic um, in their adolescent years. We know that's going to happen. Um, we know a lot of sequelae, but we don't know them all. And the ones that I'm particularly afraid of is neurological. We know that the virus gets into the nervous system very much like uh, a lot of the herpes viruses, like the one that causes chickenpox and shingles, because we're having neurological effects, losing smell, losing taste. So when the virus is in the nervous system, who knows what's going to explode? Uh, we may end up having... Uh, you know, epidemics of meningitis, you know, sometime uh, in the future when these things decide to come back. Me. Jerry, I'm telling you, even if, even if you can get by with uh, feeling miserable for three weeks or even three months with it now, you don't only end up with meningitis. Dr. Uh, Murray yeah. Cohen's with us, uh, infectious disease specialist. So we've talked on this show, Dr. Cohen, how I hate these independent studies how a university will do a study and then everybody runs with it because it fits their agenda. Now, this one fits my agenda, but I still don't like it because I don't like these studies in general. And that's the Brown study where the Brown University study, 200,000 children in 47 states. It backs up a CDC study, but it specifically says it doesn't say kids aren't getting coronavirus. The study says schools are not super spreaders. Your thoughts on that? Well, you're right about um, backing away from any one study that suddenly becomes, you know, the holy grail. Uh, now, the Brown study, I've read the study. I've read a summary of it. Um, this is a really extensive study. It's well designed. It's well done. So that's good. But it's still just one study that has to be taken in light of all of the other similar studies. And, you know, my take is, so what if schools aren't super spreaders? 
the, the big news to me out of the Brown study is we were able to confirm that even though asymptomatic kids, even young kids, uh, you know, like preschool age, they do spread the virus. So if it's not a super spreader event, you know, they still go home one at a time and spread it. So, you know, this isn't helping. Yeah. And it's not help. It's not helping the very difficult public policy decision about where to open schools, whether to open schools or when to open schools. Yeah. And, 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 and what should we what should we the rules to live by in this? Let's say Jerry gets the coronavirus and he calls me and the last time I saw him was last week. Uh, you know, how should people do if you're around someone who gets it? Should you get tested or if you haven't been around them in two weeks, should you get tested? I think a lot of people are getting tested when you shouldn't necessarily get tested. Well, testing is you know, not really the next step, not the answer. Um, because our governor, have- our governor gets he says more people are getting tested and he throws that out there like it's a cause of concern. And I was just curious about what should we be concerned about? More numbers, lower positivity rate, because our positivity rate is still at 3.7%. Which is good nationwide. Yeah, yeah but according to the to governor, governor, it's, governor not. it's not. Because more people are getting tested, and there's a bigger rate, but yet our positivity rate's at 37 So we're kind of confused here in Ohio. Well, and I don't really like talking about positivity rates you know, in, in the media, for example. Or we can do it in the hospitals and the doctor's offices. And the reason is... Um, they're they're kind of artificial because that's going to depend on your testing strategy. It depends on who you're testing and where you're testing. Are you in populations that already you know have high rates of infection, and so you're going to have high testing rates of positivity? Are you going to go you know out into the you know hinterland where there's not hardly any virus, and you take the tests, and then maybe they go, aha, we've won. It really doesn't mean anything. It's not a metric that's that's useful. Back to your question of what do you do? This is an important one because it comes up to me all the time. Um, almost every day, somebody asks, oh, believe me, my relatives call from all over the world. This happened to me. What do I do next? Um, the Think of it as two categories. There's the, I've been exposed to someone who has tested positive. And the category of, I've been exposed to someone who's been exposed to someone who tested positive. Okay. What do I do? And there's two things that are different. If you've been exposed to someone who tested positive, then you immediately organize your life into a 14-day quarantine until you learn otherwise, and you get tested as soon as you can. Now, well, not as soon as you can, probably in three to five days. It's going to take that long. Okay. For the symptoms or yet to appear. Right. Um, And then again, the thing that blows my mind is why, I mean, we've got places, you know, where I am in Texas now, where people wait 10 days to get their results. That's useless. Yeah, and, I, and I can't imagine why. I don't know what they're doing for those 10 days. The test things happen. That's hard to process. But at any rate, um, if you're the category I've been exposed to somebody who's been exposed, then you have pretty low risk of actually being infected. However, you should still isolate. And, of course, I'm still saying, assuming everybody's wearing masks and physical distancing and all that, but you should isolate. And, um, lock yourself away. Don't, don't really be around people um, for probably five to seven days and see what happens. Not because you're going to get sick. You're likely not going to get sick. But here's the consequences. If you do get sick, if you do test positive, then you have to round up and contact trace everybody you've seen during that period yeah. of time. And do you want to do that? Yeah, I see. That's a pretty high conscience. It's better to just isolate for 
you know, three to five days and wait until you get the answer. I mean, don't, you know, go nuts worrying or getting anxious yeah. about having the virus, but just do your socially responsible thing. Hey, Doug, don't, don't, go ahead. I was just going to ask you, as time goes by, I mean, people are getting fed up with the COVID lockdown. COVID weary. That's what I was going to bring I mean, up. COVID even weary. to a boiling point, as witnessed by those bozos up in Michigan last week, people have about had it. And I know it's a little early. We're only, what, mid-October here. But what's your, what's your gut tell you about as far as uh, getting together Thanksgiving and Christmas? I know it's early, but do you think we'll have the holidays as we knew it? Or should we maintain this distance? Because people are letting their guard down the longer this goes on. Um, at this point, you know, I'm suggesting certainly to my family that, you know, Thanksgiving and holiday meals are going to be by Zoom. By Zoom, done, all right. We have, done, we have done that anyway. We've uh, still, or, yeah, yeah. We did or, it Easter. Or, exactly. You know, and everybody gets a little laptop, and you put the laptop, laptop as your centerpiece or whatever, and you just do it that way. Especially when you've got, um, you know, three or four generations that yeah. are be sitting around the table. Um, and again, it's it's kind of a matter less of what's the actual risk of transmission as opposed to what's the consequence if there's a transmission. Yeah, I don't want killing it. grandpa on my conscience, Doc. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and you say, it must have been something in the turkey. You know, I don't yeah. know. Hey, uh, Dr. Code, serious question, because this is the debate. Did it start, was it a bat that bit somebody, or was it in a lab? Do In your opinion, because there's two different philosophies on this, did this disease start is China to blame or a in, lab? In the wet market or a lab, yeah. We've, uh, we've really studied the hell out of it. And it comes from a bat. This is a bat virus. Now, is it literally a bite from a bat? Is it ingesting uh, the bat? People that eat bats, uh, which happens a lot of places in the world, particularly in, in China. Um, we know that the virus is in labs because it's being studied in labs. We've been studying bat viruses um, seriously, really seriously, since. Uh, the original SARS in 2003. Um, and then there was an outbreak of another kind of virus called Nipah that was in uh, uh, Bangladesh, I think, in two years after that. That's um, also a bat virus. So we know that what we call spillover, these serious virus diseases that come from, you know, peacefully coexisting in the you know animal kingdom and jumping to man and being devastating. We know that bats um, are like the most likely carrier of these. So we've been studying and characterizing. When I read this stuff, it blows my mind. I had no idea how many thousands of species of bats there are. I mean, how often do you see yeah. that? You know, I mean, the, the millions and millions do, of the population of bats. Yeah. Do you, do you, do is you, it keto friendly? Because I've been kind of doing that. <laughs> kosher? Are bats kosher, Doc? <laughs> one, one thing I don't, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's, it's, I think about it all the time. A guy said, anyone who says that one man can't change the word world Never ate a raw bat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you say that it's an educated guess? Yeah, we know it came from a bat, that it's been cultivated in, in, in the lab. Did it escape at the bottom of someone's shoe from the lab? Was it let no. go from the lab? No, that's not how they happen anyway. Um, uh, usually, if they happen, it's going to be infected in a test animal, and the test animal escapes. 
That's what we really watch for that. And then there's the bioterrorism version where somebody breaks into a lab and steals it. Okay. Or internal um, sabotage where somebody, you know, steals a sample. Well, the latter. Do you and think that that's a possibility? Well, it's always a possibility. Yeah. We're very vigilant. We're very, very vigilant about that. And our, our global cooperation on bioterrorism since anthrax in the mail has been really good. What did they give the president last week to get him to recover so quickly? Was it one of those trial steroids vaccines, for sure. I'm sure? A salad. A salad. <laughs> big glass orange juice. Because he is a guy. Yeah. He might not have known what to do with those. Um, I only know what you know, what's in the news. Okay, um, yeah. They, they did not give him um, a vaccine. What they gave him was um, an antiviral therapy, which is being widely tested. And it's been having um, pretty good success, called Regeneron. Um, and they also gave him uh, monoclonal antibodies, which are very promising. And they're from the one I know about is from Eli Lilly. Um, what's interesting is, you know, interesting is trying to understand policy. Is Regeneron had an emergency use authorization because we have been using that in hospitals. It's expensive and there's not a lot of it, but the government pays for it to continue the tests. But the monoclonal antibodies don't even have an emergency use authorization. And we used it on the president of the United States. This is basically using the president of the United States as an early stage laboratory guinea pig. Thank God it worked. But, you know, I find that whole process uh, really problematic. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So, hey, you worked for Pfizer real quick. Uh, where are we at with the Pfizer vaccine? Is that our last hope? Uh, I think not our last hope. I think it's our next hope. And let me clarify, I'm not working for them. I'm, oh, you... I'm, a, vol- I'm a volunteer helping out in one of the trials that have okay. to be geographically located to me, um, working on uh, what's been a real problem in uh, a couple of the other trials, especially the Moderna, and that's recruiting subjects that uh, have a wide enough diversity to be able to you know, guess how it's going to work or mm. demonstrate how it's going to work in the human population. Um, Pfizer so far uh, has not had any serious side effects. Um, they have been manufacturing millions, even though they're in the the, the end of what I call the three-plus uh, trial phase. They already did the full uh, protocol of 30,000 subjects. Now they're doing an additional fifteen or 20,000 to better pinpoint how effective the virus is rather than is it effective? You know, is it 50% effective, 60% effective, 70%, that sort of thing. And what kind of antibody response does it actually stimulate? That's what they're doing now. Um, I, you know, I've heard some of the folks around the vaccine talking about uh, an initial EAU before Halloween. Um, I'm not close enough to the data to know if that's true. Um, I would be surprised. I certainly think that we're going to have an, an EAU. And what that means is there is it's an emergency use authorization. The FDA is saying there are some circumstances where you can, in fact, use it. But you have to clear that use when you're going to do it with the FDA. For example, if you have an outbreak in a, in a nursing home, um, go ahead and you know, vaccinate everybody there. With Got it. That would, be, that would be a typical EAU. So... Um, I, 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 will, I pretty much think they're going to have an, uh, an EAU before Thanksgiving. But what that means yeah. in terms of how soon they're actually manufacturing and distributing, you know, uh, an actually approved vaccine to the public, um, I still don't think that's going to happen until spring. 
Wow. Okay, very good, man. You're great, Dr. Murray. We love having you on. Thank you, you sir. On. Be well. well I'm talking to you guys. And let, me, let me give you a compliment, and this is from the heart. Uh, one of the reasons that you know I, I talk to you guys and a lot of other people, I, I don't. Um, I know you're entertainers, uh, and that's really what you're all about here. But you do a really good job of being right up with whatever the latest developing issue is on a topic as important as COVID. I mean, you're not caught up with last week's what everybody's talking about. You are always asking me about what people are going to talk about next week. And I give you a lot of credit for that. I think that's uh, that's a value to your listeners, and it's why I'm happy to work with well, you. Well, you know us, Doc. Work, work, work. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to that. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to know, did you put together your own crystal balls, you know, to see the future? We <laughs> assembled them, yes. yes. We assembled them. Oh, Dr. Cohn, you're the best. Thanks, buddy. Thank you. Y'all be safe.